Good morning, it's uh, Money Talk with James Ross. It's nine minutes to nine and time for us to cross to Washington, D.C. Uh, to talk to RTHK's international economics correspondent with his view from the U.S. Here's Barry Wood. Barry, uh, good evening, good morning. And good morning to you, James. And I guess it is the eve of uh, Thanksgiving uh, there in the U.S. Are you all set for a holiday weekend? Look, I do. Yes, I am. And I think it's, of course, one of the great American holidays because it's essentially a family affair. Mm. You sort of feel sorry for people who don't have family, but uh, everybody gets together. That's why there's so much travel over the Thanksgiving weekend. And Thanksgiving is always a Thursday. Mm. Well, I guess that could give a uh, much needed boost to the economy from the travel. But of course, the other thing that uh, may or may not give a boost to the economy is Black Friday, which uh, traditionally is the the day after uh, Thanksgiving. Is it going to be as big as normal? We've been hearing quite a lot about it on the show today. Barry, what's uh, what's your thought? Well, I like the forecast that say three to four percent increase. That's not gangbusters, but that's pretty good. And of course, the reason it's called Black Friday is that yeah. this is the beginning of the Christmas buying season. Why, is, and, why does that uh, make it black, though? I, I've never understood that. Well, now that's interesting, James. <laughs> Here's what uh, I'll, I can tell you about that. Uh, you know, if you're in the red, you're losing money. If right. you're in the black, okay. you're making money. And it was back in 1951 in the Philadelphia Inquirer noted that companies said that by the day after Thanksgiving and the beginning of the Christmas shopping season, they were making money and they had crossed from red to black. To black now, right. that's that's one side. <laughs> but then... Enter Amazon and the complete disruption of retail, mm. and you get all of these Black Friday bonuses and discounts, sales that are going on both online and in stores, and it's become a bit of a frenzy. Often now it is a shopping frenzy. Yeah, and it's sort of taken it around the world, hasn't it? Uh, you know, I think it was more of an American thing, honestly. Uh, but um, I've just been uh, in the UK for a few days, and uh, I'll tell you what, Black Friday is everywhere there as well. You can't, you can't really escape it, and even in Hong Kong. Yeah, that's true, and I think that has to do with the gift exchanging that is associated with Christmas, and there's just a month to go. So uh, altogether, it's not bad. But your question about the retail market and the outlook in the U.S. economy, the boost that can come from mm. Black Friday. Yeah, it's going to happen. People have got money in their pockets. Three to four percent increase is not bad. And uh, a lot of that is going to be online. I suspect probably 50 to 60 percent of all the sales that will go on Black Friday and Black Monday, whatever they're going to call it, will be online sales. So that doesn't bode well for what we like to call these days brick-and-mortar uh, retail uh, merchants, does it? No, it does not. You're right. And indeed, if I look near my own residence here in northwest Washington, D.C., the Lord & Taylor department store is closed. It's been boarded up for three three years now because mm. of the pandemic, but also because of the shift to online shopping. So yeah, it is bad news. And if you look at the share prices of the traditional brick and mortar retailers, they're down. And so it's, it's, it's a vibrant and very change and very risk happening global economy.
Now let's turn to um, the, the sort of corporate chaos around uh, open AI at the moment with um, Sam Altman being chucked out and uh, then subsequently within a couple of days being uh, brought back in uh, with a new border amongst, uh, amongst them. Of course, Larry Summers, who we've spoken to, spoken about uh, on several occasions in the past and, uh, you know, very senior economist. What does that say about um, what's going on there at open AI? Well, bringing Larry Summers in says that they want some respect, some experience, and they want some credibility that they have not had. I think the long and short of this, James, is that if you're an unlisted company, privately held, before you've done an in, uh, initial public offering, there are essentially no rules. There's no rules on disclosure. There's no rules on finance. There's no rules on even having a board of directors. So this was a board of directors that last Friday took this action. And now, you know, the largest shareholder, not shareholder because there aren't shares, but the largest funder of OpenAI, Microsoft, has really stepped forward. They're probably going to get an additional seat for Microsoft on this new board of directors. Certainly Sam Altman is a winner. Uh, he was chucked out, we, we think, by the previous board because he wanted to really race towards profits. Uh, you know, this company was set up in 2015 as a research company mm. free of financial incentives to make money. So that's all changing. And of course, what OpenAI has done, and particularly with the Microsoft injection of, what, a billion dollars, is they've set off a race to be the first company to market artificial intelligence. And that includes Facebook is in the running, Apple's in the running, Google's in the running, and there will be others. Hmm. What does this say about the state of corporate governance, would you say, uh, Barry? You know, it, from the outside, it does seem a bit of a mess, though, uh, what's happened in the last week. Not you know, only for, a for mess, such, For such James. a public, publicly visible company, maybe not a public company, but publicly visible. You're right. It, it's not only a mess. I think it's the Wild West. And, you know, the, the whole concept, Carolyn has been talking in, in her segment about venture capital in Hong Kong. Mm. This is the new way that uh, companies are, are funded. Uh, investors with lots of money, deep pockets, come together. They put in uh, packets of money and then they get preference when it goes to an initial public offering. But, you know, at the same time, you have to credit the Silicon Valley and the Americans generally with being a very innovative culture, an economy that encourages entrepreneurship and risk taking. So it's good and bad, but it certainly does come across as the Wild West if we look at just seven days in the life of, of uh, open AI. Yeah, well, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, it seems to have settled down a bit now, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it has settled down, and I think that you can say Microsoft's a winner, Sam Altman's a winner, uh, the two women who were on the board, uh, they're gone, they were the ones apparently that led the rebellion. Mm. Um, look, this is a very important technology, and by the way, we should mention the name of Brett Taylor. Mm. He was the co-CEO of Salesforce, people who know San Francisco, there's a great new tower skyscraper and that salesforce headquarters they do you know back office things for companies he was twitter he was as well the, wasn't he yeah mm. he was at 
Twitter, and he he was also at Facebook. So Brett Taylor is a classic Silicon Valley boy. All these guys are in their 30s, and they're incredibly smart. You look at their academic backgrounds; they've and been we'll, everywhere. So yeah, this good luck to them. And we'll watch uh, with interest. Barry Wood is our international economics correspondent in Washington D.C. Thanks, Barry. Uh,